Welcome to Life on the Illinois Prairie. Your host is Wendy Fleming Dexter, and after 30 years living in small-town Illinois, she has stories to tell. Past cornfields and factories, into the heart of Amish country. There's more here than what meets the eye, far beyond what you think you know. So buckle up and stay tuned. This is Life on the Illinois Prairie. Hi, this is Wendy Fleming Dexter, and I want to thank you for joining for this episode of Life on the Illinois Prairie. Today's guest is somebody I've tried to track down for some time since we first started this podcast. And my guest today is WCIA meteorologist Jacob Dickey. Jacob, thank you so much for taking time out of your extremely busy schedule to be here. Yeah, it's great to be here. Great to get a little time to sit down and breathe. I'm not going to do that very often. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you don't. I bet you don't. I know the listeners that are here, my friends and listeners that we've been able to gather, everyone has been interested to have you on the show and learn what you have to say. I know that uh, many people know a lot of things about you, but would you like to give some background on your history? Um, I know some of us know some about your relationship with Robert Reese goes way back, but would you like to tell how you got started actually in? being a meteorologist? Yeah, so I grew up, the story goes, I was two and a half years old, and like any two and a half year old does, they fiddle with things and grab things and move things. And I happened to grab the remote control, the the channel changer for the TV. And by fate, mystery, a miracle, whatever you want to call it, I pressed the buttons 362. And 362 is for DirecTV, is the weather channel. So that popped up on screen, and my mom and dad said that I was mesmerized. I wouldn't stop watching, and they tried to turn it off. I'd start crying. And from that early age, they knew that weather was going to be something that I was very interested in. A lot of my classmates and a lot of my friends grew up on cartoons, you know, Looney Tunes, things like that. I grew up watching the Weather Channel, essentially. And uh, you know, I think back to some of the old things that... Um, the hurricane guy watching Dr. John Hope. And those were some great early memories. The 90s and the Weather Channel was the prime years. I mean, you couldn't get better television than that was. So I grew up watching that. When I was in elementary school, I always had an interest in the sky. I'm watching outside. I remember watching storms come in. And anytime we'd have severe weather, I'd always ask my dad, I'd say, hey, dad, I'm going to go to the edge of town. Like, let's go take the truck to the edge of town and just watch the storms come in. Oh, no, no. Your mom will say no. Okay, fine. Next storm comes around. Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. Can we go to the edge of town? Watch the storms come. Your mom will say no. Well, after a while, I got sick and tired of hearing that. I said, well, did you ask her? And my dad had this puzzled look on his face. And I said, well, no. So we went and asked my mom. And my mom said, yep, we could go. And I think that's one of the times my mom said yes to something that she didn't fully realize what she was unleashing. (laughs) That yes turned into all kinds of stories over the years. And just so happened that day. I remember it was a Wednesday in May. It was late 90s. And there was north of town, there was a a tornado that came through. And somewhere in the basket of VHS tapes, there's a VHS tape that we recorded. And my dad says, oh, that semi is in trouble. And that semi drove into the tornado, got flipped over in the ditch about a mile and a half north of us. Mm -hmm. So that's my first earliest memory of storm trading. I was was all about it. You know, want to go out anytime. Back in the 90s and early 2000s, you weren't chasing with computers and cameras and laptops. You had a weather radio and you had a phone you could call for home. And mom would be watching Robert Reese or Judy Frazier on TV and looking at the radar and saying where things are going and what they're saying. That's how you chase back in the old day. So I grew up doing that. So I was with WCIA. Then as a kid, I was a kid caster. 
with Robert Reese. That was when I was in the fifth grade and got to come into the studio on a cold December morning in the early 2000s. And it was really cold that morning. I remember how chilly it was at 4 a.m. getting up to go to the TV station. And so we had that. We did the Kid Caster thing, and there's a video of it that's out on YouTube you can watch. It's pretty fun. I'm sure you've seen that one. Yes, yes. I, I wasn't no ordinary Kid Caster on that. I was pretty confident with what I was doing, and that wild Robert. And probably my favorite part of that, there's a line where Robert says, oh, it looks like we might have a future employee here. And I think that's the legacy that Robert continues today. I was also a weather watcher with Judy Frazier. She did the weather watchers. So you had a little form on the website. You'd go in and type, oh, I had this much rain and this is my name and this is my town and, and do that. Um, with Derek Fabert, I was an intern for him and uh, interned in college with him here in the studio. It was my first TV internship and he was great to work with. My first day of my internship, actually, he said, I never make my interns get me water or coffee but I want you to do other things. And I was like putting graphics and forecasts together. And I swear, no more than an hour later, we had a rogue tornado warning in Menard County. And in the middle, he's like, hey, could you go get me some water? And uh, so I, I uh, jumped headfirst into that. Uh, and then now, of course, I work for Kevin Lighty. So with the weather, it's been something that's always been in my blood. And the cool thing here at WCIA is that of the five chief meteorologists that this station has had, I've got to work with four of them. The only one I didn't, and I'm a little young for it, was Roberts. You know, him, him and his, uh, his, his cough and hacking and wheezing and whatnot. Uh, he's the one I missed out on. But uh, it's, it's cool to see in the vault all of the videos from, from the vaults and the archives of him back in the day. Hmm. Oh, my. That's, that's quite a history. And I, I go back with Channel 3 because I'm much older than you. I'm more closer probably to your parents, probably older than they are. But when I was a child growing up, we only had Channel 3. And that's what I watched because that's what we had, black and white. And I still am a, although I have many choices now, Channel 3 is still what I want to listen to. I didn't, I did not realize that you were um, so involved in FFA too when you were a young man and probably still leading into uh, things that you're involved in now. What, did you have any farming background, your, your grandparents or anything and that got you and started in that direction with that wonderful organization? Yeah, so I always say that up through eighth grade, I wanted to be a meteorologist. That's with childhood dream. And I got into high school and FFA. I grew up in Gibson City, born and raised there. And uh, our school was GCMS, Gibson City, Mother and Sibley. Got involved in the FFA chapter. And uh, my FFA advisor was Mr. Larry Littlefield. And he, uh, his dad was the ag advisor at ABL, our Allerton Broadlands Longview down in uh, Southeast Champaign County, Southwest Vermilion County there, down on the border. Uh, and my brothers went through FFA. I knew I wanted to be a part of FFA. It seemed like a great organization. It seemed like a lot of fun. Um, for my family's history in agriculture, we're actually very heavily rooted in agriculture in central Illinois on both sides of the family. On my dad's side, my dad grew up in the Auburn, uh, Pawnee area in Sangamon County. He was born at the hospital in Taylorville. So he's been there for the start of his life up until him and my mom met. Um, and um, his dad, my grandfather, started the company named Dickie John. And anyone that maybe remembers agriculture way back in the day might remember the Dickie John soil tester. Uh, it looked like a big square ceramic coffee cup. You put your soil in there. And it was one of the early pioneer innovations uh, for testing soil moisture. We've got one sent at home. It's a pretty, pretty cool little thing to see. Um, if it wasn't a soil measure, uh, moisture tester, you could put a lot of, a lot of soda or tea in that thing. It was a big 
big coffee cup looking thing there. Uh, so that was my dad's side. And, and that side of the family had been involved in agriculture for generations. Uh, on my mother's side, my mother's from Vermilion County. She's from the Seidel area and uh, a little town north of Seidel called Jamaica. And they grew up right outside of Jamaica. They went to the school there. And that was always fun growing up for family holidays. Where are you going? Jamaica. Jamaica, Illinois. But they didn't need to know that. <laughs> from, uh, that question. So uh, and, and that family farm actually still is in the family today. It's um, it's often my cousins and second cousins that are still running things. All my grandparents have since passed. Um, but that farm actually back in the 1800s, we've been able to trace it back. And it's like a hundred and. 90-something years now ago where we uh, we discovered some documents, and the document was a legal case for a promissory note that was issued to a neighbor. So, hey, we'll loan you money. And I think it was like 10 bucks. I mean, it was not much at all in today's money standard. It was a big deal back then. Uh, the neighbor defaulted and wouldn't pay back the money, and so we hired a lawyer, the family did, to get that money back and, and make things right. And we found signatures, and the signatures are of none other than Illinois lawyer Abraham Lincoln, who was involved in the farm there, which is really cool. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so uh, that's cool to have that documentation. They've been around for about two centuries or more um, in Vermilion County on that side. My parents were both the first generation removed from the farm, though when I was in FFA, if you look at the uh, uh, Department of Agriculture I always love saying this. If you look at the Department of Agriculture definition of a farmer, you have to gross, I think it's like $3,000 in sales. It was at that time. I don't know if it's still that today. $3,000 in sales a year. You can be a farmer. So I was selling tomatoes on Sunday mornings and Sunday afternoons after church in Gibson City. And uh, I made well north of that on uh, the Sunday afternoon rush. You have yellow tomatoes, red tomatoes, big tomatoes. So uh, yeah, loved FFA. Great organization. Still have some ties and involvement into it today. Um, but it definitely, um, even today, a lot of the things I learned in FFA and through my experiences in agriculture education, I still use directly and indirectly in um, in my job here at WCIA. In fact, later on today, I'll be calling an ag teacher in the area because I got to get some information. And if there's anyone that knows things in the community, it's your local ag teacher. That's for sure. So, yeah, once I got to high school, then I thought, oh, I want to be an ag teacher by day and I'll be a storm chaser meteorologist by night. That seems like a smart plan. And uh, so I went to college and uh, got my undergrad in agriculture education, knew to make it full circle, wanted to get my master's in meteorology. And so U of I was my undergrad here in Illinois, went down to Mississippi State for my grad school. And then a couple of jobs later, WCIA called and said, hey, you want to come home? And here I am. Wow. When you were in those other areas, did you have the opportunity to have much experience with those? Um, I know you did meteorologically, maybe, but did you, with the agriculture, did you get to experience much of the different types of land or different things that were farmed in those areas? Yeah. So in my first television job was down in Mississippi. Um, leading up to that, I had the first internship here in central Illinois. My second internship was in Oklahoma City at the ABC affiliate with Damon Lane. And my third job was with the ABC affiliate in Birmingham, Alabama. And that was with James Spann. And after that, then my first television job was while I was still in, um, when I was still in Northeast Mississippi in grad school, just down the road was the local TV station. So I was at the CBS affiliate, WCBI, for a little over three years during and following grad school. I loved it down there. The agriculture community there is a world different in Mississippi compared to Illinois. 
um, in Northeast Mississippi, hmm. timber is the big industry there. There's not a whole lot of crop and uh, crop agriculture, row crops, things like that. There's a little valley along the Tom Bigby River, kind of a little delta, I guess, area in Northeast Mississippi where those crops grow, but it's largely a, a timber. And uh, there's some animal production out there too, but, uh, but the lumber industry is the biggest there. Northwest part of Mississippi along the river, Mississippi River, is very similar to central Illinois. It's muggy. It's got corn everywhere. It's very flat. There's a large swath of agriculture down there. So really, in some ways, it kind of felt like home wasn't that far away. But living among the trees in the forest of northeast Mississippi was challenging for the weather side of the enterprise. But uh, it was a lot of fun to, to kind of mm. be out there. And during my first TV job, I actually did a lot of work with the Mississippi FFA Association. Um, they had some state staff shortages, and I happened to have some connections through the Department of Agriculture. And I said, yeah, sure, I'll step in for a little bit and help and get things floating and moving and uh, got to work with state officers during that and we were setting up some programs there and i've still got a number of friends in the department of agriculture down there uh in mississippi from my time there oklahoma it was a short four months there i was in southwest oklahoma at lawton and uh, that was at the air base um fort, or the army base there fort sill and uh, a little drier a little more arid down there a lot more ranching than anything there uh, and then after four months, they called me and said, hey, do you want to come home? And uh, now we're back among the land of corn and beans <laughs> here in Central. It must be, ha- you must be happy to be home, though. I mean, I, I know that, I mean, many times um, people move away in their careers. And I know you may, we probably have numerous opportunities to do those things in your career. But um, it's got to be good to be home while you are home and to be around the uh, dicky chicks. <laughs> Everybody loves the Dickie Chicks. Yeah, that I always love it when you post those videos. Yeah, that chance to come home is not something that everyone in the business gets. And um, oh, yeah. when you talk about meteorologists, a lot of my friends are in markets far away from home. You know, it's not necessarily I can go home and teach at the school district in my hometown. That's usually not the opportunity that a lot of places, uh, a lot of people get. And so when they called home and had the connections at that point in my career and with with uh, everything happening with COVID and all that, it was just the right move. Um, and I remember in that moment when I saw the opening at WCI, and I remember there was a voice, and it was the Lord telling me, he's like, you're going home. And so uh, um, made that move. I loved Southwest Oklahoma, and there wasn't much that would pull me away from being down there. That's a very severe weather market. That's a great mm-hmm. love the land there. I think it's really pretty. I, I thought the people were really nice. Um, but coming home and having that chance to forecast for people that I grew up with and know, that kind of adds an extra dimension to the jobs that uh, is really unique and really cool um, to have that. Between FFA and growing up around here, I probably know someone in every town in the area, and I probably know many people in most of those towns as well. So it's cool to have that connection that not everyone gets. But even in my first two television jobs, I had friends in the community in Mississippi. I knew people. I had People I called family there. You know, Oklahoma, I was building connections before I had to swing back to Illinois. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's cool. Mom and dad watch every once in a while. Mom will text me in the middle of a show. She's called me twice while I'm doing <laughs> on TV. Um, and I, I have begrudgingly declined the call on my Apple Watch. I wish if she ever calls me again, I'm probably just going to answer on TV. Um, but like, hey, mom. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that has not happened. Yeah. So it's it's great being it's really fun. It's really cool. 
I know that from what I can see on social media, when you do, sometimes you'll post um, some weather updates and things that are going on. And I know in Oklahoma and probably Mississippi, too, I can tell by the response you get from people in those areas that that they love you and they appreciate, you know, that you still are in contact with them. And I think that that those people building skills and those friend building skills, not everyone has that. And um, you're very fortunate to have have that to to create these friendships and this network of people across where you've worked and and you know you just have that gift to, that people feel like they know you yeah the newsroom loves it uh and many people calls they say hey do you know someone in this town i'm like oh yeah i can pick someone up or hey i'm looking for uh uh i'm looking for someone who has a sweet corn stance or do you know anyone? I'm like well here's a list of six people i know right off the top <laughs> so things like that uh help the newsroom out a bit too but i don't mind that i i enjoyed the news side of the business as well well, I know when you talk about the news, I'm, I've seen you be reading the news when you're even a little short on staff or, or somebody gets called out. I know that you can you can go in and read the news. I saw Adam did that the other day when uh, Matthew got sick and had to leave. Um, but there's probably not too many people who read the news who could get in and do what you do or what Kevin does or what Adam and Seth, Seth watch all of you guys but i mean it's you are so you have is everybody as versatile at the station i know people wear a lot of hats and they you know matthew's matthew when he was learning he can run a camera and you know you guys know how to do so many jobs but i mean you're a journalist a farm reporter a meteorologist and a cook for goodness sake so um (laughs) are there very many jobs there that you can't do um, I don't think I would want to touch sports at all. That's not something I would really want to want to do. And I know people sometimes say, "Hey, when it comes to weather, that well, you know, you guys get phone calls and stuff. Some of the calls the sports people get here are just crazy. You know, why didn't you cover my kid? And blah, 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 blah. that's probably one space I'd want to stay away from. And if you know those sports people, they call us when we cover up their their weather too. So, uh, I mean, I could tell you the sports scores if I had to. But this is a business where having multiple hats is important and being able to do a lot of different things. And I've always had an interest as well in, um, I guess I've always had an interest in the news side. And so I approached it as a, Hey, I, I'm willing to try anchoring at the desk and I kind of want to. So I think that helps grow skill sets and whatnot. When I, when it came to my internships, my, my TV internship in Oklahoma, I remember I was weather specific, but I said, Hey, I kind of want to go out with the reporters during the summer months. It was a spring internship. And I said, I'm going to be here in the summer before I go to grad school. I would really appreciate once a week going out with reporters and seeing what they do. And I think that helps because sometimes you have people, and this is in any industry, in any job, you know, they kind of know their little slice of the pie. They, that's all they look at. That's all they eat. They don't really know what the rest of the pie is. Uh, you know, they kind of have their one little mm-hmm. niche that they do. Um, but being able to go in is, and see how the news stations run, I mean, from news to production to sports to commercial, I mean, weather, all of that kind of, I think, has been fun and helped me in ways understand how the wheels mm-hmm. turn. Because a lot of people, I think, a lot of people, I think, literally think, hey, he must walk in five minutes before the show, do his weather forecast. He gets to go home after that. And I say that, but I've heard that before. Some days that is true. Mm-hmm. When the weather's really nice and quiet, maybe, oh, I take a little longer lunch break. This, you, know, you should probably edit that out. I'm kidding. But you know, in quiet days, we, we kind of get to relax a little bit. News is always in the grunge. Sports always pretty much has something going on. 
uh, but for us in weather, we can we can relax a little bit. And that means we can also help plug some holes where it's needed on some of those quieter days for us. So, you know, they needed a reporter in the morning when the Gibson City fire happened. I was, boom, in the station in five minutes and out the door with Karina Rubio. So we had a photog up there running a camera for her during live shots because I saw those big stories where I think that's important. And, and I find I, I enjoy that side, too, because it gives me another chance to get out in the community a lot of times to do ag stories, to talk about Farm Progress Show, to do restaurant reviews, things of that, to connect with people. And you can kind of get stuck and just sit behind the camera and forget who you're actually talking to, who you're working for. But once you're out there, then you get to meet those people and look them in the eye and shake their hands. I think that's an important part of the business. Oh, absolutely. And I think that that is uh, why you resonate with so many people. And that, that ability to connect, as I said before, it's just not something everyone has. And couple that ability to connect with your natural curiosity and ability to relate to people. And um, you're a, a valuable asset to the, to the um, station and to the community, I know. Now, when you have to go and when you report on things like at Gibson City, when you, you know, the, the, the flood that happened there, tornado, derecho, all those things, um, with your personal connection there, is that being home and, you know, your dad being mayor, when you see these things coming, I mean, that's got to be a little gut-wrenching. I know you have to be able to distance yourself emotionally from that because you guys are busy getting an influx of news from multiple um, multiple sources, National Weather Service and all the um, social media accounts, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, where people are inundating you with all this information. I mean, how... I know you're multitasking and I just don't know how, how uh, you're, you can't, can't train you to be that, um, to face that kind of a situation. So how, how do you handle that? Yeah, I think um, when it comes to being in the studio, you'll see this a lot of times if, if it's a one man band and I happen to be in and someone's in the storm tracker, you know, you'll see me looking down and around and checking my phone and checking my watch and doing all these things. You know, it's a little bit different back in the, 70s, 80s, and 90s, I think Judy Frazier had a little easier when she had a little printer that printed off the latest <laughs> bulletin. And someone might call the phone and relay on a piece of paper to her, whereas today it's constant messages. Hey, I'm in this town. I get this. Hey, here's a report. Hey, National Weather Service chat. Hey, all these different things to, to keep up to date. And so trying to balance that sometimes can be you know, a, little bit of a, a little bit of a juggling act there. But it's important that we get those reports and are able to share them and relay them somebody gets a picture of a tornado, I want to get that on the air as quick as I can because I know our viewers will see it off the radar. It looks like a bucket of spilt paint to a lot of folks. And I have no idea what that means. Oh, red, that looks bad. Oh, it's green. That must not be as bad. Uh, but when I show them image of the tornado, and that's what this is one of the big reasons why we do our storm tracker, get out in the field. When we show them an image of the storm, of the damage, of the event happening, they're much more likely to understand and recognize it because they've actually seen it versus just radar saying what it is. Um, you know, radar is kind of like reading the cover of a book and maybe opening up the index. Well, it gives you a really good idea of what's happening. You still don't know all the details and what's going on. And so those ground reports being in the field, you know, things like that are really important. And I've had a lot of friends in the area during severe weather text me photos and reports saying, hey, we just got, you know, we got, Baseball-sized hail in, in my farm field, or, or you know, we just had, you know, we've got flooding on the street in, in town here and whatnot. That's that's a, a valuable thing to happen. And knowing that the weather impacts people that I know and love, um, that adds 
just extra dimension of importance to me where, you know, hey, I know the importance of this. And the unique thing as well is I'm not alone with being here at the TV station and the weather team. All four of us are from this area. We all have connections to this area. We know people. We have family in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very unique for TV stations to have. Most TV stations will be lucky to have one, maybe two people that were born and raised in that area. Now, some TV stations have people that have been there 30, 40 years doing weather. And that is a little bit different than you know, a couple of years out of college. Um, so yeah, just that 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 added connection. And Gibson City has had their fair share of events. You kind of mentioned that where we've had flood, we had two major fires, we had the derecho uh, sweep through, which that hit everyone. Um, we had the tornado southeast of town there. And I remember when the tornado happened, that's the January 3rd outbreak. I remember thinking, okay, this is going to miss downtown, but south of town. And I was literally in my mind thinking of people that were, it was heading towards, and it split the gap between two of the farms that I remember thinking about and, and went on and hit the farmhouse of a, a school teacher who, who was living there ret- since retired. But, uh, you know, and I, I know those people. I grew up with them. I've seen them. And so that, that always adds to the importance of making sure the information is accurate and informative, um, but also just, just, you know, the urgency of the situation and being sure that I'm portraying that without becoming across as, oh, you're just hyping it up. Oh, you're just fear mongering. Oh, you're just doing this to build ratings and you know scare my pants off type of thing. You know, we, we got to find that balance. And I think we've really done in recent years a really good job of doing that here at WCI. Well, that has to be a skill in and of itself because social media didn't exist back in the days of Judy Fraser. And I can't imagine anybody going up to that lady in the grocery store and verbally accosting her as people do to those of you who not not just you guys, but everybody at the station. I mean, it's it's an it's appalling to me that people behave the way they do and can treat people without any more respect than they do sometimes. And and in the case of you know, your storm team, when you have to interrupt a TV show, God forbid you interrupt a TV show to try to save lives. And you guys do that. And you don't do it, at, 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 you know, lightly. I know you do it because it's something that is needed. And it's got to be challenging to do that. And I guess you just have to temper the, the as you say, the intensity of knowing what's happening out there um, against these naysayers of people that, that, um, are very negative and say hateful things. I mean, you can you can see the mentality of the people that you're dealing with sometimes, but still it has to be frustrating when you're out trying to uh, protect people. Yeah, I don't really get a lot of people that come up to me that are unhappy with me, thankfully. That's not been an issue. Um, I mean, I can't go to the grocery store and plan. I mean, just today I went to the store for two things, and what should have been two minutes was uh, about a 10-minute <laughs> Know, serenade to the store, <laughs> and it's you know it's something that is part of the, the job. When you when you're in this business, you know, I have the good fortune of being a part of people's families, of being in their living rooms, you know, every day of the week, and being a part of that. And I'm, I'm a conversation. You know, we on TV are often conversations people have with other people, so we're kind of a household name. And so when somebody gets to meet me, for me, I am having that experience thousands and thousands of times where. I'm meeting someone, getting to talk to them and learn who they are, what makes them tick, things of that. 
for them, though, this is their first and a lot of times maybe their only chance that they've ever had to meet someone on TV and firsthand person. And so just having that mentality of like, this is a, you know, it's a moment that happens for me all the time, but it's a first for them and making sure that I'm, hey, let's let me spend this 30 seconds. I mean, that will just change a person's day. You know, that, that'll make their month when, when they get a get a little conversation. Oh, the other guy was at the store and he talked to me. Yeah, it could be a different story where, oh man, he's kind of a grumpy little sass, isn't he? You know, he seems nice on TV. Uh, you know, you know, I don't want that to be the, the impression that I give people. So a lot of people come up and um, my wife's kind of accepted it too. I know maybe it's not her cup of tea, but uh, she knows it's part of the gig. And so she's always happy to take vacations and you know, hopefully don't get spotted somewhere far away. But we have been spotted out of state <laughs> several times. So yeah, it's not not something we can always get away from, but uh, you know, it's just part of part of living in Central Illinois and being on TV here is people know me and and uh, so they want to come up and talk to me, and I'm okay with that. That's wonderful. That is wonderful. Um, so do you said uh, you have? I heard you tell one of the guys the other day on TV that you had mad sandwich making skills from your time at Subway. Oh yeah, I, I don't know if uh, mad sandwich making skills is the case. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I work in Subway. No, uh, maybe I maybe I added that part. Yeah, you might add. <laughs> hey, that's okay. That's what we do in meteorology, right? We just ad lib and kind of you know embellish a little bit. <laughs> and we're wrong half the time. Isn't that how it goes? Sure. <laughs> but and so so um, now, not everybody. There again, you get to go on to uh, Sky Living, and have your cooking a cooking up a storm segment, which I know everybody loves. And I always hoped when Stacy and I would be on there and get to sing that we'd be on there sometime when you were making food, but we never got to do it. The overlap just never quite worked out. <laughs> no, but where did you, do you, um, did you get your love of cooking through one of your parents or is that something that, uh, again, is that a tie in with agriculture or where did you pick up that particular yeah, uh, so my mom, passion. my mom's not going to like this story, but I tell it anyways. So I'm the youngest <laughs> of three boys. And when it was the three of us boys, my dad and my mom were five people at home. And my mom would often cook dinner for that. When my oldest brother went off to college, it seemed like the cooking kind of took a little step back. We were still getting fed. It was great. But, you know, we kind of noticed, oh, maybe you're, oh, you know, help yourself or something like that. When my middle brother left, it was just me and my dad. It was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? So I had to learn to cook. And uh, so it's not entirely true. And you know, she's probably going to listen to this and be like, ah. But, uh, you know, I, I, it was something I always loved cooking growing up. Um, where, you know, I remember as a kid, I'd get, I, mean, I had a smoothie machine. I had a milkshake machine as a kid. I just liked being in the kitchen. And I think the driving factor behind that is because I just love food. I think food is the best thing ever. And I want to eat it all the time if I can. Um, and and I remember as well reading in a book, there's a book called What Stands in a Storm. And it's about the generational tornado outbreak in the Southeast United States, 2011. Um, and the artist's name is escaping here, but it's really good. You can find it on Amazon. Um, the artist, she was a, uh, uh, the artist, she was a press writer. Um, and I'm going to look up her name real quick because I, I think it's a great book. Kim Cross, that's it. Uh, what Stands in a Storm from, by Kim Cross. That's my book recommendation for the day. Uh, it was very emotional and impactful. That tornado outbreak, there were over 300 fatalities in the Southeast United States. That was April 27, 2011. And it talked about the recovery and how people just came together over food. 
spread. Food is love. I'm like, that's totally true. And you think about the times when tragedies happen, what do people mm-hmm. do? make cakes they make casseroles they bring food by for those things so i think food is a very common driving factor for people as well i mean who doesn't love food if you don't love food something's wrong with you right <laughs> we uh you know we all want to eat that's we're going to be alive and uh so it's cooking up a storm came about where i was at my first tv job and i just posted oh i'm making some vegetable soup it was about this time of year seasons were changing i made some vegetable soup for the cool cool autumn nights and the executive producer at the station she messaged me and said you want to make that in our on our lifestyle show I'm like, oh sure <laughs> and uh lo and behold cooking up a storm was born so i did it in my first television job for a couple of years and i've been doing it here and uh, i just think it's something that is one it's it's uh you know people who like to cook you know they want some recipes they get to see on tv that's really cool and number two i'm just wanting some good food and so we kept it going and they let me cook. <laughs> I get to take the leftovers home. And oftentimes that's my meal plan for the week. I'm like, honey, what do you want for cooking this week? And then I make it on TV for <laughs> So, I mean, agriculture and weather and food, I mean, none of those things would exist without the other. I mean, you, we wouldn't eat without agriculture. And if without the proper weather, we wouldn't have the food. So you tie it all together in one uh, nice package there. Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, I remember when I was in, in college, I was doing my undergraduate degree. Like the four pillars I kind of wanted to have was agriculture, weather, education, and leadership. And then smack dab in the center was food. Uh, I remember back when Robert mm-hmm. Reese was doing On the Roads, and that was kind of the, the inspiration. Okay, let's do what he's doing and just bring it back. Because it was such a good program. Everyone loved watching Robert on the Roads. They wanted to know where Robert was eating. Mm-hmm. They wanted to go where Robert was eating, you know, if you, if you're familiar with that franchise, he did, he had, uh, who doesn't remember moonshine. I mean, they took a bus full of people down to moonshine, Illinois, <laughs> and uh, all had burgers one day down there. Robert went to, uh, Burger King and Mattoon, the original one told the story there. He went, he went to all over the place. And, uh, that's something that I always thought was really cool. And, uh, I mean, people love that kind of stuff. You know, not everyone gets the chance to go on a fancy vacation far, far away, but, Sometimes a good meal and good food can take you to memories and take you, you know, to, to new places and small. There's a lot of hidden gems here in Central and I just think a lot of them deserve to be featured. And when it comes to food, too, again, nice. I just love to eat it. So what better way to eat food than to <laughs> cook it and go to restaurants and eat it? <laughs> I um I think that's wonderful. Um, having lived here in Central Illinois, growing up, my dad was a farmer at West of Mattoon. I had five brothers and. My mom is a good cook, and um, so uh, and my brother and I used to sit on the front porch and poke each other every time the lightning would lightning and thunder would come, and we'd sit on the porch until the rain drove us inside. So, you know, we we grew up kind of enjoying the same things. But um, I do so appreciate you taking time, and I've said that before. But I mean, I you're now you're teaching it at Parkland, and I know your time is even more more uh, valuable i know the one time we ran into you at ci living you, i asked you how you could how you kept your weight off and you said amy made you go to the gym and uh <laughs> it must be yeah i mean you must be very fit physically active to to do what you do but i mean you're running all day i told as i told the chip the sound engineer you know you this is probably the longest you sit down in any one given day for this time but um is there anything else Anything else? Yeah, the parking gig is kind of a new thing here this year where 
I've really enjoyed that getting to teach. And I don't think a lot of people realize when I was in college, my undergrad, I student taught, had my teaching certificate in agriculture education and had some endorsements in math and science and whatnot. And so I always knew teaching was someplace that I wanted to at least get my feet wet in again. And so when Parkland had the opportunity, you know, it just was a no brainer, made sense. And the TV station was willing to work with me on it. So three days a week in the morning, I'm over at Parkland and then I come over here and do my late morning afternoon duties. And uh, so far it's going well. It's still a learning experience and education, even from when I was student teaching back in 2015 to today has even changed drastically with the pandemic that came through. But I think just being in the classroom is something I enjoy. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you just didn't want to teach. That's why you went to weather. No, no. I knew one day that meteorology was going to be a thing, but one day teaching that and teaching at the college level was something that always interested me. And on top of that as well, a lot of the skills that I learned in agriculture education, I view as very important and part of my communication on air. I am a teacher in an informal classroom setting on TV, teaching people about the weather the next seven days. Mm -hmm. And I've got to figure out how to do that effectively and efficiently. Because if I do a bad job of it, people are going to change the channel. I'm like, oh, this is terrible. I have no idea what's going to happen. So kind of phrasing my mindset of that, I think, is important there. And so getting to jump into the classroom Parkland, too, is just a lot of fun where it's challenging. It's a little different, but I enjoy it, and I'm always up for that. There's probably some more things coming down the pipe, but uh, nothing that I can really – because I guess I don't know how they're going to work out. But there's always something that's up my sleeve that I'm working on, I suppose you could say. <laughs> That's how the whole Farm Progress show came about. Hey. <laughs> you know, God always puts these opportunities in front of you. So if he puts that door in front of you, you're going to open it and run through it. I know that. Yeah, for sure. I do a little bit of running at the gym, too, of course, as you said. And my wife says that I have to live a long time to hang out with her. So she keeps me at the gym rather routinely. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jacob, I cannot thank you enough for taking your time. I think we'll draw this to a close. Is there anything you'd like to share? Any, do you have a email address you'd like to share with people or would you just not like to do that? My email is open, jdickie.wcia.com. My Facebook page is probably a great way to connect. I usually try and be very responsive every once in a while. Just this past weekend, I took a day and I was like, we shut everything off. You know, we had some family time in Nebraska. We were out there for that. And I was like, okay, not going to look, going to try and be in the moment. But most of the time, and especially if, even if I'm somewhere far away and there's active weather, I'm usually on there. So just watching. Because I know people come to my Facebook page in particular, they're looking for stuff. So you just search meteorologist Jacob Bickey, you'll find it. We have fun there. We talk about food a lot. <laughs> talk about recipes and restaurants. And, you know, news that I think is a little more important, I'll share. And then, of course, weather. And just, we have some fun there, too. You've been a part of that fun, Wendy. You totally know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I know I was harassing you this weekend. It's like, did you get my emails? Did you get the link? <laughs> You know, at the same time, I'm thinking, okay, you know, they probably want a little private time to not have to deal with this all the time. So sorry if I harassed you. Trying to juggle everything is a little bit of a balancing act sometimes. And I, I remember with all of the Farm Progress show, I was doing the whole specials on Central Owner Farmers and recording at the Farm Progress show. And I remember I looked at my wife one day and I was like, I feel like I'm, you know, one wrong slip of the way from dropping everything. And But uh, keep focus and keep chugging it out. And September has been a lot quieter overall. And I've certainly enjoyed that, but you know, the weather never stays quiet for long. Right. So we'll see what the next few days and the next week or next spring for us. And 
see what happens. So anytime the weather's quiet, you know the weather team's kicking back a little bit. We're relaxing, <laughs> trying to take advantage of that. So waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah, it's a roller it's, coaster it's ride, isn't it? We still got our eye on that shoe. We know it's going <laughs> to drop, but uh, you know, it's like okay, take a breather, relax a little. Well, thank you so much, Jacob Dickey, for being my guest on Life on the Illinois Prairie. And I think that will draw this episode to a close. And if you like Life on the Illinois Prairie, I'd like to ask you to like and subscribe. And please tell your friends. Thank you, everybody. And please be kind. Thanks for listening to Life on the Illinois Prairie, the undercurrents of our American life. If you haven't yet, Go ahead and subscribe to Life on the Illinois Prairie wherever you get your podcast. Stay tuned for more stories, interviews, and updates. I'm your host, Wendy Fleming Dexter. Until next time. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.